It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another week, another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. And a quick reminder that our show is, as always, available on the new Himalaya app, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, etc. Spotify is the other one we mentioned. They're everywhere. Go find it and listen. Give us a like, give us a subscribe. If you have feedback, leave a review because we do read those and it does help. Mandatory minicamp starts today, tomorrow, depending on what time you're listening to this episode. We will be talking about OTAs this week. Joe, I hear you had a pretty exciting weekend. Oh, not that exciting. I had to work for most of it, but I did have my daughter's dance recital end of the year, so that's done. Also had my sister in town from Atlanta, so we've had a lot of family over. But the exciting thing, none of that was exciting. The exciting thing was that I got a 3D printer. I haven't set it up yet. I haven't had the time. I started unboxing it just before we started recording. A 3D printer and a new trailer for your favorite video game franchise. That's right. Halo. Halo Infinite is the next game. That is my favorite franchise. And if you uh, like video games, E3 is a fun week. Really kicked off today, really officially. Uh, if, you're, if you're listening to this on Monday, then um, I believe it's Nintendo on Monday. So there you go. I, I guess I know you. I'm starting to get to know you pretty well. I know your yeah, how about you? Video game franchise. Got a 3D printer. Look at you go. I uh, I attended a friend's birthday party last night, played a very fun game called Spikeball. Have you heard of Spikeball? I have never heard of Spikeball, but Spike it Ball sounds fun. It's a game that has similar rules to volleyball, except for instead of a net in the middle of the court, there is like a trampoline net oh. that you, you have to hit a smaller ball off of. It's probably like the size of a softball, but it's soft. It's, it's like not a baseball texture, but the size of a softball and it's, uh, you, you get to pass it to your teammates, you try to slam it off the, the net, and then the other team has to defend it. It's a fun game. So how do you score? If you're aiming for the ground there, you hit it off for the this net trampoline. such that they cannot return it to the net. Gotcha. So you smash it off into the distance and you get it by them, or you know you drop it right onto the ground. Those are the two general ways you see people score. So have you played this before? Yeah, yeah, we played. Oh, yeah. We we got it last summer, or I think maybe maybe two summers ago now. I can't remember. I think last summer we started playing it. It's a fun game. Yeah, I've said that three times now, so it must how be true. Was, how was the learning curve for it? Uh, depends how your hand-eye coordination is, how athletic okay. you are. Some people don't get it. Other people get it a you know, couple games. You figure it out. For Such me, it was life. pretty natural. 
But yeah. honestly, I have this thing with most sports where if I try the sport, I'll be at least mediocre at it. Right. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll probably not be very good at it, but naturally it'll come to me at a low level and I'll be right. passable. You won't be embarrassing, embarrassingly bad, though, right? Is what you're saying if you right. give it a shot? Except that, like, I don't know. Have you ever slacklined? No. Should we start talking about the Bengals? No, I want to know what slacklined is now. Slacklining is you take a... Uh, it's like highlining, except it's... it's You, you take a... It's, it's like a flat line, and you wrap it okay. around some trees. Generally, you protect the trees with some towels because it's a lot of tension on the on the trees. Um, and and then you, you try to balance and go across, and people do tricks and stuff because it's kind of bouncy. But it's just a line. So are you, are you, you're, like, balancing on it yeah. in terms of Very you know, walking over Niagara it. Falls with a, yeah. a tightrope? Yep. Same really? idea. Very hard to do. How high off the ground, then? Well, if you're not strapped in, you can put on a harness and do it. You know, people do high lines over, you know, canyon kind of things, but then you're harnessed in. So if you fall, you don't die because you fall. Right. <laughs> but for the most part, you're doing like two feet off the ground, maybe. Hmm. Maybe maybe a foot and a half. Not that high. But you have to be high enough that you don't hit the ground, I guess, in the middle because it does, you know, it does bend quite a bit. You try a lot of weird sports then. For me, I, um, I'm very bad at basketball. Really? Yeah, Six, terrible. Three? I can't dribble. I know. I could never dribble. I would shoot terribly. Um, what a waste. Yes, yeah, completely uncoordinated growing up. You know, when you when you grow like three inches in a summer, and it feels like in a summer, um, it kills your sports around 15, 16 years old. There's a quarterback in this year's NFL draft who didn't get drafted who probably would really sympathize Agree. with you. Yeah, Tyree Jackson. Yeah. So in Bengals news, nothing has happened. Some things we didn't talk about last week. We'll start with Shane Graham because this actually got interesting when we were talking about it before we started recording. Shane Graham was helping out at OTAs last week. He is now coaching or uh, analyzing or assisting at Michigan State. And when we looked back at his NFL career, I think Shane Graham has actually played for the most teams of anyone in NFL history. Yeah. This is actually pretty crazy. We, we were just looking to see where he's gone since the NFL, which he kicked all the way until 2015. I didn't know that um, with the Falcons. But he was a he, he signed on very quickly in 2017 as to be the special teams coordinator for Central Michigan. But then I, I continued to look, and it said, as a player, this is his career history now. Uh, he started off in the Arena Football League with the Richmond Speed. This is in the year 2000. Also in the year 2000, the New Orleans Saints. Then the Seattle Seahawks, the Buffalo Bills, back to the Seattle Seahawks, the Carolina Panthers, and then to the Bengals finally where he spent six years. And then he went to the Baltimore Ravens, New York Giants, New England Patriots, Washington Redskins, Dallas Cowboys, Miami Dolphins, Baltimore Ravens again, Houston Texans, Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers, all the AFC North. Uh, back to the New Orleans Saints for two years, where he pretty much started his NFL career, and then finally with the Atlanta Falcons in 2015. Uh, by my count, that's 15 teams and 18 stops, if we're not counting the arena football, which would be 19 stops. Now, he didn't make all of those teams, it's worth noting. He kicked seven years in right. Cincinnati, two years in New Orleans, and then one year at several other teams. But of teams that he actually appeared in a regular season game, I think that list is 10. Cincinnati, yeah, New Orleans, still... Atlanta, Baltimore, Buffalo, Carolina, Houston, Miami, New England, New York. Right, that's still pretty impressive to be with 10 teams. But um, 
Yeah, just that to see that list like that, that he's at least stopped in those cities and competed for a job, it seems, in training camp for a lot of those teams. It's crazy because you, you pointed out before we started talking that he was an all-pro in 2005 for Cincinnati. Of course, that was the year the Bengals were looking very, very good until Carson Palmer's infamous knee injury. But if you look yeah. at his actual stats for that year, sure, he made 88% of his field goals, but... Just like all the other kickers in Cincinnati, he kicked one try longer than 50 yards and he missed it. In the year prior, he was 3 of 4 for 50-plus yard field goals. And if you were going to pick between those two years, he was certainly better in 2014 than he was in 2015. But 05, uh, 04, you mean? You said 15, 14. Say, yeah, yep. Dude, that, that's so long ago. 2004 was his best year. 2005 was the all-pro year. Yeah, amazing that he made an All-Pro. Bengals don't have many of those first-team All-Pro guys in their history. No. That'll be a trivia question for another time. And and it's, like, not a very deserved All-Pro. I wonder what happened with kickers in 2005. It's also the probably, probably because he had a great year in 04, and then they had a high-flying offense in 05, so by then people knew about him, and, you know, you just kind of vote popularity contest wise in in 2005 neil rackers was 95 percent as a field goal kicker and made six of his seven attempts from 50 plus yards where at where was in, he in uh, detroit oh, okay he was also uh he went to the pro bowl he was the other oh he, no he was the all pro that year this says shane graham was a pro bowl kicker in 2005 man that's what we get for trusting wikipedia huh well you know what it's weird because his yeah, no, he, he was an he was a pro bowler, not an all pro. Then never mind this entire conversation. Yeah, we we went way down this rabbit hole because Wikipedia lied to us. It's normally pretty good for stuff like this. I, I, they I'm, usually source it from other spots. I'm pretty sure this was the year they did a they did a weird like trick shot competition at the Pro Bowl too that was Shane Graham against Neil Rackers. They had hit the uprights. They kicked from like outside the stadium yes. or something. Yeah. I remember that. Neil Rackers, like I'm pretty over sure, a building. him. Drop yeah. kicks. I'm pretty sure Neil Rackers crushed it because, as the stats bear out, he was a much better kicker that year. I miss the uh, long throw competition from the Pro Bowl. Yeah, they didn't do that for very long. No, but I remembered it as a kid, late now, 90s. Now they do the accuracy stuff. Yeah, that's okay, too. Kicking in 2005, that's what we're talking about. That's June 9th or 10th in the <laughs> offseason. We've got a couple of tidbits, though, don't we? We've got some things. I've got trivia for Jake later, and you guys can um, play along, too, while Jake struggles to name all these players. Okay, should we take a break and then come back and do trivia? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, we'll be right back. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals podcast. In our second segment today, I've got some trivia. I think I can do this 
uh, and come up with something to stump Jake and maybe you guys too. And I think it's, I'm going to start something easy. But overall, I, I've had a few ideas. So this is the first one I'm going to go with now. And Jake, we're going to go only back to the year 2000, okay? Even though I did write down guys that did it in between 1990 and 2000 also. But this is, I thought of this because uh, John Ross had seven touchdowns. Now, he didn't have a great year, but he did have seven touchdowns, and that is a decent mark. So, since 2000, how many Bengals receivers do you think have had at least seven touchdowns? Am I supposed and to say can- how many, or am I supposed to just try well, to both. name them? Try and name them, yeah. All right. And if you get stumped, I'll start to give you hints, and then I'll tell you how many, and yada, yada. We'll go from there. So the problem is, like, I don't remember 2000 to 2004. Like, I don't even know who's on the team. Is Carl Pickens still around? Is he one of them? He is not one of them. Okay. Tony McGee? He's a tight end. Okay, so we're only doing wide receivers. Only wide receivers, yes. Okay. Um, Because those are the only guys I remember from the pre-Marvin era. So Chad Johnson, obviously. Yep. TJ Hushmanzada. Yep, both of them. That's uh, two. Chris Henry, I think, did it one year. Chris Henry did do it one year. Yeah. Uh, who else was around back then? Did Peter Work ever do it? I doubt it. Peter Work did do it. Wow. Good. I know. He did it one time. Good huh. job. Um, That's four Who so else far. was around that week? Uh, Kelly Washington did the squirrel dance, but I think the most he ever did was probably five times in a season. Yeah, he's not up there. Nope. Uh, you can actually uh, go go further into the future now. It is eight total players. And oh, you've that's got it. Four. Yes. Okay. Well, then AJ. Yep. Uh, Tyler Boyd. He did. John Ross. Of course. Does that does that count? So there's there's no he he wasn't it was besides okay. John Ross. So how many more do I have? Two more. Two more receivers. Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens did. I thought you may struggle with that just because I think people forget that one year. He he scored a lot. He, what do you have nine? I think he had nine. You no, know, I don't have it in front of me, but I do think it was nine. Um, so I'm missing one. Missing one receiver. I, and then for bonus, oh, uh, Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones did do it. Good job. That is all eight receivers that have had at least seven touchdowns since the year 2000. Now, if you want to go for the bonus points, there were three guys in the 90s that did it. I am not Carl Pickens. Carl Pickens did it. He had 17 touchdowns in 1995 off 99 catches. What a stud year. 17 touchdowns. That's a pretty, pretty fantastic year. Wow. Yes. Yeah, that really stands up. Like, even even looking at Randy Moss's great year in New England. Right. It's amazing. I don't think I know any of the other... Uh... Who was his running mate around that time? Can you remember Carl Pickens, the other guy out there? No, I don't think I was really paying attention to the Bengals in the 90s. I was less than 10 for most of those years. All right, listeners are probably listening. They probably know who the other they guy They probably was know. Time. Right, that's what I'm saying. I'm giving them a little little time here to scream it a couple more times as they're listening. But Darnay Scott did it. Oh, yeah. Darnay sure. Scott's the other receiver. Now, yeah. here is a, the well, last guy. There's one guy. more guy. Yeah, okay. There is one other guy. And it's going to be hard because he didn't play much into the 90s, if at all, besides the one year he did it. Um, mm. He was a very good 80s receiver, and it's Eddie Brown in 1990. Mm. I think he had nine that year. Wow. Um, yeah, so Eddie Brown gets sneaks into this list, which I thought would be the one a lot of people won't get. So if you did, if you're listening and you got that, uh, points for you. Internet and podcast points for you. So Muhammad Sanu, best year, must have been... Five. Five, hmm. yep. Yeah, surprisingly, and, right? And in the year that he had two rushing touchdowns, he had zero receiving touchdowns. How did, how did Muhammad Sanu 
have zero receiving touchdowns in 2015. Isn't that weird? That's crazy. He only had 49 targets that year, which is weird also. Was he hurt or something? No, he played no, in 16 Eifert games. No, Eifert was getting so many targets. Marvin yeah. Jones was getting so many. A.J. Green. Gio yeah, oh. got 68 and then, targets. And then he left Cincinnati right away. Because I was looking, and he had 98 targets in 2014, only 49, literally half in 2015 and then in atlanta he's had 80 96 94 every year so i was like what's that weird year in there yeah it is weird isn't it yeah. and it's just that there were so many weapons around him and that's their best offense you think he would have gotten something and he ends up with two rushing did he have a passing that year let's see because uh, I, I was gonna say if we add his rushing and passing maybe he gets to seven but i was just using receiving touchdowns the most the most passing touchdowns he's had in a year is one and he only had receiving touchdowns in one year so he will never get to seven no, okay. Yeah, it's a shame. It is a shame. Mom's I'm surprised. I'm surprised that like none of the because when who was it that one year? Jerome Simpson and who else? Andre Caldwell. Andre Caldwell. Did they just have no passing offense that year? Yes, that's the year Dalton was a rookie, right? Because Dalton was uh, to the two of them. I guess. Oh yeah, been. yeah. Chad was. I mean, um, AJ was there 2011. Also, Caldwell was the slot guy. Simpson was the other guy. And how so quickly they disappeared. I know. Simpson were, really never did anything. They were still young then. Yep. They were in their, what, third, fourth year? Remember when they, we thought they would never do anything? After the first couple years, the Bengals were signing Lavernius Coles and, yeah. uh, and Tara Lowens, and like, we're burying them on the depth chart. These guys are never going to play. At this point in their career, I think uh, Jerome Simpson had one catch or two, two and, and going into year three, and it wasn't until year four he got to play. And he was okay. He was at least exciting because of his stupid athleticism. I mean, he was just so springy and could jump so quickly and and making make crazy catches. Huge hands. Remember that flip? For yeah, the that flip into Arizona? the end zone. That's like a career highlight for any NFL player. It was wild. It's an NFL highlight. Like you'll see it randomly, and you'll go, "Oh yeah, Jerome Simpson. Look at that." And like if they use it as an as a, an example of, "Look at Splash. Fun plays. We have athletes." And there's Jerome Simpson. Doing front flips over people into the end zone, sort of landing on his feet. Yeah, he had one hand down, but I mean, we're not, we can't be nitpicky when you're scoring a touchdown doing a front flip. You don't think I can do that? You doubting my athleticism? Could you flip? You, I can never flip on a trampoline. You would be correct. I could do it on a trampoline, yeah. From, from the okay. ground, I, I never learned. But there's a technique to it. And if you don't know the technique, then, you know, if you actually got coached on the proper technique, I, I hear it becomes a lot easier. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, that's life, right? But uh, yeah. I remember trying it one time and smashing my face into my knee. Oh. I got up and I'm all bloody. I was about nine or ten. Yikes. I'm okay. I grew up. I lived. Did you? Yeah, sort of. All right. We're all not right. getting into the former sports injuries segment again. Nope. Not today. What else Not is today. happening? You said we had some other tidbits. I do. Well, also, I, I liked uh, Albert Breer. Yeah, this was good. And it was run by NBC Sports, uh, Pro Football Talk. But uh, he said that the Bengals are not installing their offense one unit at a time. What I mean is just the receivers go into their room and say, and the coach is in there. And he goes, okay, guys, this is going to be this route. This is that route. He's going to name them for them. And then they're going to go over the technique. You do this. I want you to cut off here, break, lean inside. If this is this coverage, what, yada, yada. He's going to do all the details with them. Instead, they're installing it as a complete offense. So the entire offense is in that in that big auditorium looking type room with the you know big screens behind them. And uh, they're going over, okay, this is, 
uh, Brown right F short two jet flanker drive. And this is, they're going to go through what everyone's doing and the responsibilities of everyone out there in it. I would say that could be beneficial. I remember Andrew Whitworth alluding to this, talking about just knowing why he's doing it because of the other guys around him and how it helped him, you know, sometimes climb up to the second level and do something maybe he wasn't supposed to do, but he knew he could. Uh, and I think just overall, Chris Sims talked about it too. He, did, he was on with uh, Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, and just describing what the benefits to that could be and how you understand language. He said, especially during a change of a scheme, if you if the receiver may say, well, why don't we call it this? We called it this last year. We just call it this. And they may not know. Well, the O-line actually calls it that for their check. So you, we don't want to confuse you. You know, you, so it, it just creates more fluidity and um, and, and understand, understanding of the total offense for everyone together. I think that makes a lot of sense when you think about how that makes players understand what they're supposed to be doing on a play. For example, if a lineman... Or if there, if you have a quick set for your tackles, for example, your wide receivers, you know they might understand that their route is whatever it is. But just understanding the technique that's being used on the offensive line might inform the receivers' choices down the field. Might in, might inform uh, vice versa. You know what know what's going on in other parts of the field. Yeah. It makes you sense. know. Chris, Chris Sims made a good point too. He says, you know what? It, he thinks it'll make the most impact is when plays break down mm-hmm. because then exactly. you're like, okay, actually I know which way the, the, the blocking was, was leaning, say if the blocking was slanted to the right. So a quarterback may bail to my left. I know that, and I'm going to start running my route here. And the running back now knows what the receivers are running, so he may break his route a little differently to go to the open area. Instead of seeing and reacting, you have more of a um, precognitive understanding of it, and you can get to that spot quicker. It's actually a little weird to me that that's not the way that it was already done to some degree. And maybe it was done that way to, like, a small degree and, and just not so in depth as this happening now. Right. You just have so little time, especially now under the new CBA that you want to make sure you get the um, position coaches with these players to go over these little finer details. Cause I'm sure they're not going over the finer stuff that remember, if you get this coverage, I want you to do this, yada, yada. Um, they may discuss it, but to really sink it in and, and hammer at home, that stuff's probably happening in individual meetings, uh, position meetings. So, mm-hmm. I'm just, I just they probably think they're short for time normally and he and Chris Sim says this is this makes sense for in, installation later in the season you probably yeah. won't do that but to install the offense which is the bones of it which will be which carry over even when you create new plays later in the year uh, these are the philosophies and these are what we what you do and this is what builds you it's smart to do it now and it's nice that they had the extra week too to to get all of that in yeah that's right and that should help obviously. All right, let's take our second break here real quick, and then we'll get back in for a couple more tidbits and let the people go on their merry way. We'll be right back. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And we're back. Jake and Joe here catching you up on all the Bengals news over the weekend. 
First, uh, another story, which I think kind of feels like an old story because I believe we touched on this, Jake, but it's, you know, Andy Dalton saying it and saying it again, brought it up again, so that he went back and watched every snap of the Rams offense in order to understand Zach Taylor's offense in the scheme, which it's kind of funny because just previously, I believe it was last week, he said, well, yeah, we're going to be the Rams offense, but we have A.J. Green and we've got receivers that can do kind of different things. We kind of have Tyler Eifert and they didn't, which I think makes sense. I think probably behind the scenes, he'd probably say they have a better offensive line, line too. But he also did say that uh, he goes, but Joe Mixon and Todd Gurley are pretty similar. Yeah. But but what was his point with the receivers then? Like, well, that they have A.J. Green, that they can probably do a little more because more? he is a true okay. number one. Yeah. Okay, so that I, I was, I was kind of confused by that because it was like, well, Mixon's, like, he can be as good as Gurley, but also we have A.J. Green. Like, does that mean A.J. Green needs to be as good as somebody? And no, because he's A.J. Green. Right, he's A.J. Green. They don't have that. So it right. allows okay. them to be a little more flexible. Like I said, we've talked about a lot how to the advantage of the Rams, they used everyone like slot receivers, all three of their guys. You don't have to do that with Green. He was really good in there last year, but uh, if you wanted to isolate him and throw him a fade, you could do that, and I don't think you could do that with anyone in in L.A. Also interesting in this piece is Andy Dalton talked a lot about the changes for him individually, talks about the fact that their play-action game was efficient and robust, and that's maybe going to be an adjustment for him. What do you mean? He means before it was? He means that the L.A. offense uses a ton oh, of play right. action. Okay, I was almost confused there for a second. Yeah, right, they are. They're completely um, – that's the next phase I'm going when I, in my articles, too. If you if you listen to the podcast last week, I outlined one of my, one of my articles coming out for The Athletic. Uh, it posted over the weekend Saturday, I believe, so if you haven't checked it out, make sure you do. It's a video series. The next one will be on play action. The first one is the running game. I'll go to play action. third one will be the passing game. So I'm going to – show a staple or a couple staples of that Rams offense. And there are a lot of play action passes to show. And it's funny because they all look exactly like their run plays, which is ideal of what you want. But when you see it, you go, yeah, it's, it, I can see why their linebackers are on the other team are confused. That's the point, right? So Jared Goff, yeah. 35.8% play action passes in yes. 2018 leads the NFL Andy Dalton doesn't qualify at this snap threshold, so let me find him here. Actually, 27.4%. So, 10th. Surprisingly at, high. At that, at that threshold, but still a solid 8% behind Jared Goff. And actually, if you count Lamar Jackson, guess what Lamar Jackson's play-action percentage was in 2018? It's got to be 70%. 70? Wow. It, was, it had to be super high. I didn't think you could overshoot it, but 43%. <laughs> I didn't think you could overshoot it. I was going to say 50 at first, and then just to look at your face on the camera was like, it's really extreme. Um, well, I, I think I it is say, pretty extreme, right? Because the, and most of the NFL is in the mid-20s, you know, yeah. between 20 and 30, and Lamar Jackson at 43% is an extreme outlier. You're right. That's significant. If you're hitting, if you're nearing 50-50 on your pass attempts, that's pretty extreme. Um, do you have the numbers for Goff and, and, and Dalton? We had this when we talked about it before. I just wonder, uh, quality of passes. As I'm watching the Rams' offense, coming off play action, Goff has to be – I mean, he's got to be hitting 75% completions, it looks like, because they're just – there are so many open guys when he when he comes out of it. He actually completes fewer passes off play action, but is much more efficient. He completed 61% of his passes from play action versus 67% from non-play action. 
but he threw mm. 15 touchdowns against two interceptions off play action and 17 touchdowns to 10 interceptions on straight dropbacks. So his NFL pass for attempts. Yep. His NFL passer rating was much stronger off of play action and he completed pass or sorry, his yards per attempt was 2.6 yards better on play action hmm. passes. So he averaged 10 yards per attempt on play action dropbacks, 7.4 on non-play action dropbacks, was the only quarterback in the NFL to go over 2000 yards passing on play action, had 2600 on non-play action which is right up there with Brady in terms of closeness. Actually, hmm. his passing line generally very strongly resembles Brady in a lot of ways on play action and non-play action. So if he averaged 10 yards per attempt, right? It's not completion? Per attempt. Okay, so and he completed less passes. His average depth of target must be very, very big on uh, play action passes. Yeah, I don't have that, unfortunately. Right, I'm just... But I, I agree with the with the hypothesis, yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. You know who, based on math. Is at, who do you think the best play action quarterback was in 2018? In terms of what, though? Quarterback everything. rating? Literally every, every, well, everything except yards per attempt. Except yards per attempt. Um, I'm going to go with Pat Mahomes because he's the best at everything. Pat Mahomes was actually worse on play action by many measures than he was on non-play action. So this is a trick question. No. Is it someone obvious? Uh, ish. Ish? You're messing with me now. <laughs> no, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> okay. I would say that, yes. He. I was going to say, he, they're, they're not known for the play action, but yes, Drew Brees completed 78% of his passes on play action wow. dropbacks last year uh, for 11 touchdowns, zero interceptions, 9.3 yards per attempt. But he only had he didn't he didn't quite have 100 play action dropbacks last year, which puts him toward the bottom of the league for players that played all the games the way he did. Of course, so what's his percentage? Uh, 19.4%. Okay. Of course, Drew Brees on non-play action passes still completed 73.6% of his passes. Right. <laughs> because Drew Brees is a freak. Yes, he is statistically probably the best quarterback of all time when he's done. He's got to be up there. Pat Mahomes, since you guessed him, had a 108 QB rating uh, on, on play action passes, which were 31% of his dropbacks in 2018. 116 hmm. on non-play action. 36 of his 50, 50 touchdowns came on non-play action passes. And uh, the interceptions were pretty well split. Did you have the percentage for him? How many play action? Uh, yeah, it was 31%. Oh, okay, I didn't hear you then if you said that. That's a pretty significant clip. I'm just wondering, the best offenses in the league, especially right now, I feel play action is the uh, is really an advantage for the offense. Yeah, the, the weird exceptions to the rule are Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers, who, did, who had a smaller percentage of play action passes but were extremely good when they did sprinkle it in. So it was more like a... We're going to catch you off guard with this, and it's going to hurt yeah. you. You know the fourth best QB on play action last year was Ryan Fitzpatrick? He only had 285 total dropbacks all season. But yeah. when he dropped back on play action, uh, fourth highest quarterback rating in, in and the we, NFL. If you don't listen to the previous podcast, and I don't mean directly previous, but an old podcast we did where we talked about Dalton's numbers and how they've really flipped since about 2015, uh, 
for play action passes and under center passes. They it used to be a weakness of his coming out of a shotgun offense at TCU. I think it it um, hurt him a little bit to turn his back to the defense. But since that, I think it's 2015. He's, his numbers have been actually better off play action than tr- uh, conventional, which is now conventional style passing. Right, so 2015 was the first year that the split flipped and he became more efficient on play action than non-play action. And he had 23% of play action snaps that year. The following year, the split remained better on play action, creeping up to 24%. In 2017, they got all the way up to 27.5%. The split widened. And then last year in 2018, again, 27%. And the split actually narrowed a bit because he was better on non-play action passes uh, is, is the biggest part of the narrowing of the gap. I wish we could get receiver numbers off play action passes. I'd like to see. Because um, I, I feel like the Bengals in the past have been a very only play action to get take deep shots down the field. They don't like Dalton to take a traditional drop back and then you know try and chuck it downfield. It's more off play action take a shot. I wonder if we could get that data. We have friends of Pro Football Focus who might be able to help us out, at least giving us the raw data of, of play-action targets or play-action depth of target at least. We could make that request. Yeah, that'd be nice. I'd up. like to see. Yeah, I think we could. That'd be something that I don't think anyone else has. Yeah. All right. So that's it. There is some other stuff going on in the world. AJ Green came out and said, again, I think, this is another repeat, I, I think, that he, he wants to retire Bengal. He wants to stick around. So that's nice to hear. I wonder if they're working on a contract or if it's posturing. Tyler Boyd said something similar, too. He, it sounds like he wants to get a deal done. It might be that both of these guys are actually feeling a little anxious. So, like, can we, can we get this done? Because Tyler Boyd's saying, you know, I'm out here in training camp trying to earn my money. And A.J. Green's saying, I want that money. I want to be here. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that they're both saying this instead of playing the game of, I'll go anywhere and play, right? Or I'll, I'll, I'm just, I just need the money. I just need to be paid. They're kind of both actually saying they don't want to play anywhere else. And I, it makes you wonder, and I think, if I'm remembering correctly, when they had the Tyler Boyd piece on Paul Denner's on The Athletic, he hasn't received or they haven't talked about contract yet. He hasn't received an offer. So maybe this is, you're right, that they're like, all right, come on. We're open to talking. We will take a friendly deal, uh, per se, and we just want to start the negotiation process. It makes you wonder if there's some sort of moratorium on major contract moves for players already on the roster with Zach Taylor being relatively new. Maybe they're taking their time, waiting to get their evaluations going before they make these decisions. and waiting to see how they react to the new installs rather than just going off of the old tape that they use for their initial roster review. And these extensions normally take place second or third week or so in training camps. But, you, I mean, we're only a couple months away. You would think the process would start relatively soon to get there. Then again, we've also heard that, I've heard at least from, from a player's wife, that uh, there was a there was an instance where a player there was interest in him returning to Cincinnati and, and he was never even offered a contract. There was literally right. no engagement in a conversation. And I don't know if this is public knowledge or not, so I'm gonna bite my now. tongue. Is it now? It is now. They never once offered Kevin Zeitler a contract. Right. Yep. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen with these two wide receivers. I think they recognize it would create too much of a hole on the team, especially after letting guys walk for the last few years and it blowing up in their faces. But you never yeah. know. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you would think they'd take the opposite approach with this one. And 
And I would think they take the opposite approach based on losing two receivers last time in Marvin Jones and Mohamed Sanu. They let them play out those deals, and we're like, oh, both guys are too expensive for what we think they're worth. And that blew up in their faces also because they had to spend premium picks at the position to replace them, and it took three years to actually kind of replace them. So uh, I think instead they, they may, if they go a little bit early with Tyler Boyd here, you may save yourself three or four million a year. If you let him have another season like that again, well, you are paying him as a premium guy. Yeah, because he could very well become the preeminent slot receiver in the NFL if last year's any indication, and he repeats that and even takes a little step forward because there aren't many guys that are going to produce at, that, at quite that level out of the slot. No, it's usually capped a bit in the slot. And you can get a lot of targets, a lot of receptions, high percentage ones, but he had touchdowns, he had long catches, he had 20-plus catches. He was good. He was good in every measure. Yep. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. This week, minicamp will be around to cover that. We look forward to it. Until then, Bengals fans, you can find the podcast on the new Himalaya app along with a curated list of podcasts created just for your taste. Also available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, have a good one, Bengals fans. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.